0: Amen. Well, thank you, worship team. If you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. If you were with us uh, this time last year here at Kernan, we went through the first 11 chapters of Genesis and uh, in a series we called Origins. And so we were looking at the origins of the universe Uh, Not so much scientifically as we were spiritually and theologically and what God was doing when He created the universe and the world and humanity and that whole story that was setting the stage really for the rest of the Bible. And so this fall, today, we are kicking off our fall sermon series called A Family for the World. And so we are going to be looking at the rest of the book of Genesis, which still is really setting the stage for us to properly understand the narrative and the storyline of the rest of God's Word, the whole Bible itself. And so we're excited to dive in today to Genesis 12. So we're going to be in verses 1 through 3. So I'd like to read those three verses and then pray and ask the Lord to bless His Word. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Moses records these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now the Lord... And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Would you pray with me? God, we are thankful today that through this story that leads to a greater story, a story that took place on a hill called Calvary 2,000 years ago, Lord, because of this story, because of this reality, this history, this truth, we can be a family, your family, and the whole world can see your light. Lord, throughout this series, throughout the rest of the book of Genesis, your word, we pray that you would show us what it means to be your family in this world so that this world may see you and not us. Would you help us to understand these truths? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So about, about 134 miles northwest of here, I grew up in a small town called Douglas, Georgia. And yes, I Google mapped that before uh, the sermon. And there's a, small, there's a small country church with a rather large cemetery uh, beside it, right there on the property, called Carver Baptist Church. And a couple of years ago, uh, my grandma passed away, and I was honored and had the privilege to, to preach her funeral at that small little country church in the town where I grew up. And after the funeral, we would visit her grave, and one day in particular, I had a little bit of information about some of my family members, and I never really knew this. I was walking around the graveyard, you know, looking, of course, at my my grandma's grave, and I, I'm walking around, and I start to realize that her dad, her mom and dad are buried just in front of her, and his mom and dad are buried just over here, and their mom and dad were just over here, and I keep walking backwards towards the front of the towards the front of the cemetery, and I realize there's about five generations dating all the way back to the Civil War of my family. And they're all just right there together in this cemetery. And that's special to me. I'm I'm grateful for my heritage. I'm grateful that day that I discovered some things about my ancestors and where I came from and all these things. And I I can at least say this. Without these people, I know I literally would not be here, right? (laughs) But while this is very interesting at the least to me, and that cemetery now is more of a special place now that I've kind of discovered my roots there. The fact that I can only go back about five generations or so with very limited information about these people and their lives, it really leaves me with very little room to work with in terms of them and my heritage playing a pivotal part in my life today. I mean, the truth is, I don't really see much of a connection between my family's heritage and my personal purpose and meaning in the world today, my life today. And maybe you do. And if you do, and maybe, maybe you've done Ancestry.com, maybe you know way more than I do about, about your family, and maybe it does mean a lot to you, and that's great. If you do, that's fine. But if you're like me, and that's not the case, and you don't really know much about them at all, that's okay too. Because what I want us to see today is that throughout the rest of Genesis, and and what we're going to find out is we all have a very real family heritage to be proud of. And it's not biological necessarily. It's spiritual. We all have a very real family heritage that affects our purpose and the meaning of our lives and how we live our lives today. It's directly, it directly affects how we live today if we truly understand that family heritage. Because here's the thing, if you belong to Jesus, and that's if, if you belong truly to Jesus then Genesis 12 through 50, hear this, it is your family heritage. It really is. You're a part of this family that we're going to learn about over these next several months. A family for the whole world. So how did that happen? What are we even really talking about here? What, what's the backstory for that truth to become a reality? In other words, what's the story? What's the story of our heritage as God's people. That's what we're going to see kicking off today. It started in Genesis 12 with a promise of hope. A promise of hope. Now, you have to keep in mind, when you're thinking about the book of Genesis, we know it's the first book in the Bible, right? And so a lot of us probably don't realize this. When was Genesis written? Well, it was written when the Israelites had left Egypt, and they're wandering around the wilderness. So if you're not familiar with this biblical storyline, just bear with me. But here, here it is basically. God's people, who came from Abraham's family, they grew into a great nation, and then they were enslaved for over 400 years in Egypt. And then God rescued them out of Egypt for them to come back to what they called the promised land, the land that God originally said He would give to Abraham that we just read about. But between Egypt and that promised land, the Israelites spent many years wandering in the wilderness. So, guess what? During that time, God gave these words to Moses, a descendant of Abraham, right? Of Moses, one of the Israelites. He gave his word to Moses to write down. He wrote these things down as the Israelites are between Egypt and Canaan. Guess what? Both of those places were filled with false worship of false gods. So the Israelites, God's people, they're leaving a nation full of false, god, false gods, and they're going to a nation, Canaan, full of false gods. So in between wandering in the wilderness, God says, I'm going to remind you who you really are. I'm going to remind you of your family heritage, I'm going to remind you that I'm the one true God deserving of all glory and honor. These Israelites wandering in the wilderness, you see, they needed to know where they came from. They needed to know their family history, which would give them more insight and meaning into the purpose of their lives in the present. So part of that education, I'm sorry, education process is going to be through the use of genealogies. Now again, you may not know much about your genealogy. Some of you could probably trace it back to the pilgrims. I have no idea, okay? But I don't know much about my genealogy. But why is there so much emphasis on family heritage and tracing the family line so far back? Why is there so much emphasis on that? Well, One major reason, among others, is found far back in time, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You see, this, Genesis 3, is really where the promise of hope began for God's people. After Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, sin is basically saying, hey, God, What you have for me is not good enough, so I'm going to kind of take things into my own hands. I'm going to plan out my life the way I think it should go. I'm going to worship pretty much myself and not you. I'm going to love other things more than you. That's what Adam and Eve did. That was their root problem, and it's the root problem we've all inherited since then. But here's what happened. After they did that, after they rebelled against their creator, God, God had something to say. He said something to Adam, he said something to Eve, and he said something to Satan himself, the serpent. Listen to what he said. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. But listen to this. The greatest and first promise of the whole Bible... Is in Genesis 3:15. Here we go. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God is making a promise. He is making a declaration, a statement to Satan himself: this isn't over. Your time is coming. And I love the NIV translation. He says, it says, He will crush your head. God is declaring that an offspring, a descendant of Adam and Eve, will rise up to defeat evil once and for all. God had a rescue plan from the beginning. As soon as sin came into His good world and ruined everything, God said, I'm going to do something about this. I am going to raise up a descendant of one of these humans, and he will crush the head of evil itself. So Moses speaking to these. Wandering Israelites in the wilderness looking for hope, looking for purpose, looking for meaning, looking for a heritage to be proud of, Moses traces the family line throughout Genesis in hope of this offspring. Where is he? Where is this offspring? When will the descendant of Adam, the offspring, when will he come? When will he rescue us from this evil world? You see, it wasn't Adam. It wasn't Adam's son's. God gave Adam the responsibility to multiply his family and to spread around the earth and to fill the world with the glory of God by loving him with all their hearts. That's the purpose of your life. We were created to spread over this earth spreading the image of God as we go into our workplaces, into our homes, into wherever you may go. We are spreading the image of God and loving Him and loving others and reflecting His glory. That's the purpose of humanity. But sin entered the world. It destroys these things. It disrupts and discourages us. And so the world became increasingly evil after Adam and his sons died. It became so evil to the point that God would intervene and essentially start over with the human race through the great flood. With one of Adam's descendants, Noah, he saved Noah and his family. You see, Noah was a man of great faith, but he wasn't even close to living the perfect life of obedience that would be Necessary to crush Satan's head and destroy evil forever. Only a perfect person can crush evil. Noah was not that descendant. So it wasn't Noah, it wasn't his sons. And then something very interesting and catastrophic happens when you get to Genesis chapter 11. God's command for the human race was to spread across the earth and fill the earth with his image by living lives that love him, reflect his goodness. And guess what they do in Genesis 11? One chapter before where we're starting today. The people of the earth, the descendants of Adam, the descendants of Noah were right back at it, living for their own glory, trying to make a name for themselves instead of God because you know what they did? So silly. They tried to build a tower, a skyscraper, literally, that reached the heavens as they called it. They wanted a place where they could go and meet with the gods, the false gods that they believed in and that they worshiped. And they thought they could do it. That's how great they thought they were. They thought they could build a skyscraper to touch the sky and climb to the top and commune with whatever false God was on their list that day. So what did God do? Well, in Genesis 11, verses 5 through 9, look at this. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said... If as one people speaking the same language they had begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. You see, everybody in the world at the time was speaking one language. It was a very close-knit world. No one was spreading around the world as God commanded them. They were trying to hover and, uh, together to protect themselves and their glory and their name, to build a name for themselves, right? Verse 7, so God says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them. The Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. See, God's plan for humanity to spread around the earth And fill it with his image was not going to be thwarted, was not going to be stopped by these people who thought that they could just band together and build a name for themselves and just forget their creator God. One of the most interesting things about this is that in spite of humanity's determination to stay in this one little corner of the earth... God's mission was at stake. And so he started the spreading. He started scattering them around. God has the final word. He disperses them from one place and scatters them abroad. What is he doing? What is God doing? He's setting the stage. He is setting the stage for his mission to become reality. But what about the offspring? What about the one, the descendant, who would come and rescue the world from this sinful misery they were living in, the evil and the wickedness at hand that was destroying relationships and destroying people? Where is he? Well, that brings us back to the genealogy Moses was recording. Now, at the end of chapter 11, he gets to a descendant down the line from Noah, down the family tree named Abram. And here, we see that promise of hope start to become a plan, a plan that's beginning to be set in motion to save the world. Look at this. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Look at this again. In light of what we just learned, Basically, I just recap Genesis 1 through 11, right? Here we go. Now the Lord said to Abram, the descendant of Adam, the descendant of Noah, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? Why why is God blessing Abram? What has Abram done? Why does Abram's name need to be great? So that, God says, so that you will be a blessing. God's not just going to bless Abram for the sake of blessing Abram. God is going to bless Abram for the sake of blessing the world. That the world would see a light in the middle of the darkness that has happened. In the middle of the sin. In the middle of the misery. That there would be a light. Shining in the darkness for the world to see. And so God promises Abraham, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. You hear a ringing of Jesus saying, you're either for me or against me. And in you, God tells Abram. he says, In you, all the families of the earth shall be Blessed. God has a redemptive plan that He is setting in motion. Genesis 1-11 through talks about the grand scope of creation and the big problems that were happening. And now we're focusing in on this one man and this one family. God is starting with something small that's going to grow into something bigger than Abram could ever imagine. It's going to affect the whole world forever. You see, God has a plan. Separation and disunity is not the things that will last forever. God is going to gather. He's going to gather people. And He is going to reconcile those who have been lost. He is going to claim a people for Himself God is going to form a family to be a light to the rest of the world, a suffering world. Genesis 1-11 through is filled with disaster. There are terrible things that happen to humanity because of the wickedness and the evil of sin, the reality of our own hearts, rebelling against our Creator. We get what we ask for. We want to be the ruler of our own life? You get that. And when you get that, you destroy yourself. So God is going to choose a group of people for himself. He's going to choose a family that would grow over time, he says, into a nation whose purpose is to show the world what the one true God is really like, to be a representation of God himself. One of our favorite places to go with the kids is the Lego store at the town center. Anybody been there? Oh yeah, Legos. Man, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Legos. You know, I love the uniqueness of them and how it's really creative and it inspires my kids to become, I don't know, engineers or something, something smarter than me. But uh, <laughs> but then when you step on one and you realize that there's a 4,000 pieces scattered around the house, it's not so much love anymore, is it? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I just want to kind of talk to the person who founded Legos and just say, why did you do this to us? <laughs> Why have you done this to all the parents of the world, right? But here's the thing about the Lego store. They have incredible models of, the, you know, just real, real life buildings and, and structures and things like that. So they've got, you know, the White House. I mean, it's impressive. The Empire State Building, uh, the International Space Station. They've even got that the last time I went. I saw that. It's, an, it's incredible. It's really amazing to see These models and, you know, in theory, I mean, they each have like 8,000 pieces, so I don't really understand how you even do this. But in theory, you can take all those pieces, right, that are inevitably going to be scattered around your house, but you can gather them and you can build them into something pretty special. You can build them into a representation of something that is actually much greater You see, what is God doing in the world? Is He gathering His people who have been scattered person by person? God is building His building. God is building His kingdom on this earth in Genesis 12 through Abram's family. And you know what their purpose is? Abram's family is not the kingdom itself, but it's a representation of the kingdom. It's meant to be a model. It's meant for the world to look at and say, This looks good. I want more of that reality. It was important for Israel to see that their family, their nation, was directly tied to the mission of God, all the way back to the beginning of time. When they're wandering around the wilderness, lost and scared, doubtful, questioning God's love for them. God gives them a word and he just wants them to know that you are mine. You belong to me. And I love you. And I've loved you since the beginning. And I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And I'm never gonna let you go. whatever wilderness you think you're wandering in right now, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that God has a word for you. And it's in his word already. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. You belong to me. You've been purchased. You've been bought with a price. Spoiler alert, though. Abraham's family did not live up to this <laughs> They actually did a pretty bad job. And another spoiler alert, Abraham, he's not the offspring. He's not the descendant. It wouldn't be for a long, long time until finally the offspring came. The descendant would be born. The son of Abraham, the son of David, but also the son of God. Jesus Christ is the offspring that God promised would crush the serpent's head all the way back in the Garden of Eden. The whole Bible, the whole Old Testament, do you see that? The whole Old Testament is just drawing a line from the misery and the evil and the destruction of sin, a line through Abram, through Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all their descendants, all the way to a little no-name town, Bethlehem, thousands of years later, where the offspring would be remembered. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, a cross you could say, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, Paul says, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring who is Christ. Paul draws the connection for us. The offspring promised in the garden, the offspring promised to Abraham, it was Jesus all along. It was pointing to him. So that we know what that means for you. When you come to know the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. God is calling you. He is gathering you into his story. He is bringing you into this family, the family of Abraham, the family of God. We sing, maybe you sing this with your kids. Father Abraham had many sons. Come on, help me. And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And then you start doing all the funny arm motions, right? And in my house, we end with the tickle monster. And I know that's not theologically accurate, but, <laughs> but <it's>, it works. <laughs> it's a silly song, but you know what? Man, there's an important truth there. Paul elaborates again on this. Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham... It's those of faith who are the sons and daughters of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. See, sin is doing what it's always done. It's still doing the same thing today. It is separating us. It is dividing us. It is destroying us. But the primary thing sin does is separate us from God Himself. And it also secondarily separates people from themselves. But our God is one who keeps His promises, He has given this promise. And we, living on this side of the cross, on this side of this grand story, we know He's already kept His promise. An offspring of Abraham did come. And He is rescuing a lost world, gathering His people, His church. If sin has separated you from God and others and you have not been reconciled to God, if you feel like you're wandering through a wilderness yourself and through this world, hopelessly looking for something to cling to, for truth and for meaning in your life, then what I want you to know today is that Jesus Christ, the Son of Abraham, the Son of God, Him who knew no sin became sin for you. Jesus Christ died in your place as your substitute when he hung naked and bloody on that cross. He did that so that you could have faith in him, so that you could believe, so that you could be rescued, so that you could have a family forever, so that you could have a heritage to be proud of, So that you could live in heaven with him forever in perfect peace. You see, the Lord has made a promise and he's fulfilling his plan. And he wants to bring you in, he wants to gather you. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for that truth. Not only are you forgiven, not only is your slate wiped clean, you are also cleansed. And that's a process. The cleansing process is something we call in the church world sanctification It's a theological word from the Bible. It means that it's a process of growing and growing in your faith over time to become more like Jesus. People, after hearing the gospel in Acts chapter 2, asked Peter, who was preaching, they said, what what do we need to do? What do we do? How can we be gathered into the family of God? And Peter said this to them, In Acts 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise is for you and for all children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. the Lord, our God, is calling you to himself today, please respond. Repent and be baptized. Repent and trust Jesus in faith. If that's true for you, if you feel that in your heart right now, would you you find me after the service and just come and talk to me about that? I would love to speak with you more about what it looks like to follow Jesus. But I want you to know, no matter where you are, if you're wandering through a wilderness yourself right now and you do know the Lord, remember your heritage. Remember who you are. There are voices that will tell you that you are not worthy, that you don't belong to the family of God. But if you know in your heart you've repented of your sin and you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you listen to this voice. You listen to the word of God himself who creates new life out of nothing. He's done that for you. Do not live in shame. Accept his forgiveness and live for his glory. We are the family of God for the whole world, for his glory. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. And I'm so thankful that you kept your promise that you made long ago to Abraham. That you made even long ago before that to Satan himself, that you would crush his head. So Jesus, I'm glad and I'm forever grateful that you crushed my sin on the cross. that for those of us who have trusted You, Lord Jesus, we, spiritually speaking, we were hanging on that cross with You. You died in our place. You died for us. And our old selves were crucified. Our sin was done away with. And Lord, when You bowed Your head, you, when You almost took Your last breath, Lord, You cried, It is finished. because the payment for our sin had been completed. Jesus, you rose from the grave because there was nothing left to hold you down. Sin and the power of evil had been crushed. So Jesus, you rose and you're alive today. And Lord, in you we have life. And I thank you for this family. I thank you for this family of God a small model, a small representation of the larger family of God, the universal family of God. Lord, I thank you for these people and I thank you that you love us, that you're with us, and that we can be a light in the darkness. Would you help us be just that? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.